This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. And today, it's car talk here on Mishmash. <laughs> That's right. There's a surprising amount going on in the automobile industry right now, from a semiconductor chip shortage to GM and Ford wading into political waters on voting laws. And here to help us unpack all of this and how it affects you is Riley Began. Riley covers national politics and auto policy for the Detroit News. Riley, welcome back to Mishmash. Hey, happy to be here. So, Riley, uh, let's get this one out of the way. What is the semiconductor chip for people who don't know? And why is it causing such a ruckus in Washington and within the auto industry? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, a semiconductor chip is basically the microchip that you are envisioning that goes in your cell phone, your other sort of consumer electronics. But there's also tons of them in vehicles. There are even more in electric vehicles, but even your traditional gas-powered car has several of these chips in them. Um, It powers your power steering, uh, rolling down your windows, and of course, um, you know, the GPS and the other sort of entertainment aspects of of a car. They are fundamental parts of cars that we expect to have now. So um, when there's a shortage of them, uh, we're having a huge backup in production and Um, Of course, in Michigan, that also means um, it's affecting people's jobs and, uh, you know, people's pay and time um, on work. So and this is something that the auto industry has been in talks with the Biden administration about. What are they asking for and what's the hold up there? Yeah. So this chip shortage is not only affecting the auto industry, it's obviously affecting tech companies, electronics companies. And it's global. So the competition for these chips, the the small amounts of them that are available right now, uh, is really high. And so what the automakers are asking the Biden administration to do is to basically play a political role in helping set aside a certain amount of semiconductor chips for the auto industry. Because autos use um, sort of a different type of chip. The same companies make them, but because they had an earlier sort of backup during the coronavirus pandemic, they are sort of at the back of the line right now for those chips. Um, You know, whether or not the Biden administration is going to help them with that, we'll see. So really quick, you know, there's a lot going on with voting laws right now. We're particularly seeing this in Georgia where a new law does things like give voters less time to request absentee ballots and gives the Republican-controlled legislature more power over the state election board. Several major companies like Dow, Target, Estee Lauder are speaking out about those laws, as well as similar attempts across the nation, including here in Michigan. Uh, Ford and GM also speaking out on this. What's going on there? Yeah, so earlier this week, several major companies in Michigan released a letter sort of outlining their commitment to equitable voting and saying that they were opposed to any policies that would basically make it harder to vote. You know, they aren't really clear about what they're opposing, but the timing is certainly clear. There is discussions in the state legislature over um, several voting laws that would, for example, implement requirements for voter ID and stuff like that. And it's going along sort of a national trend of these laws that would make it harder to vote in certain places. The big three all came out uh, and said that and then several other major companies. So it's, it's a pretty significant statement. Now, we have a Democrat for a governor who would you know, squash any bills that she sees as impacting or infringing on people's rights to vote. So how do you see this having an impact on Michigan or on the legislature, if at all? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that we have all seen over the last year um, around sort of election disinformation is that 
even if nothing changes substantively, when we have, um, you know, conversations around uh, voting, it it can sort of further the, the partisan divide and, um, you know, potentially drudge up a lot of that misinformation that was a big part of the last several months um, following the election. But, um, you know, on the other hand, maybe it's another opportunity for um, elections officials and experts to get the word out there about what um, does help or doesn't help voting. Um, but I think it's it's safe to say this this conversation about uh, voting rights is not going away anytime soon. So let's talk about the federal budget. Um, what is in there for the auto industry, especially when it comes to electric vehicles? We know that this is part of the infrastructure plan as well. But what about the budget? Yeah. So in the federal budget, um, they have proposed around six hundred million dollars specifically for electric vehicles, and that would go um, to replacing the federal fleet with electric vehicles. Um, and there are, you know, 645,000 vehicles in the federal fleet, and it, it um, may cost much more than $600 million, but the president sort of framed it as a down payment um, for what's probably going to take many, many years to, to turn over the fleet. Um, the reason that the president has made the federal fleet such an important part of his EV policy is they're seeing this sort of as an opportunity to spark demand. Um, you know, if the federal government is spending millions or billions of dollars on electric vehicles, um, that's essentially one more huge customer for the automakers. And um, in Michigan, you know, a lot of that would come back to Detroit. Um, another thing that that money would potentially go towards is electric vehicle charging stations. Um, probably more so that funding would be a part of the $174 billion that's proposed under the American Jobs Plan. Um, you know, significantly more than $600 million uh, towards electric vehicles. But, um, you know, that money would be spread out across all sorts of different things like uh, consumer um, incentives and stuff like that. So what has been the the reaction to this? Are environmental groups thinking that it goes far enough? Are Republicans saying this is crazy? Like, I guess, what has been the general sense and general reactions to to these proposals? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um I would say electric or um, environmental groups are mostly very excited about this. I mean, this is a significant amount of spending towards goals that over the last, you know, several years have been kind of political pipe dreams. Um, And all of a sudden we have a president who is saying, um, yeah, let's let's really spend to make this a possibility. Um, Of course, I think for any advocacy group, they would like to see more. Um, But for the most part, there is um, a lot of support for this among environmentalists and and Democrats. Um, Republicans is a little bit more of a mixed bag. Um, You know, Republicans are in Washington are generally pretty interested in infrastructure and and helping supporting infrastructure, but uh, depending on where they fall on the political spectrum, may be uh, willing to see electric vehicles as a part of that versus not. So, um, you know, one thing I hear a lot from Republicans here is concern that most of the um, energy that goes into electric vehicles anyway, the electricity is coming from um, you know, power uh, centers that are fueled by fossil fuels still. So is it really that much more clean? Um, you know, Secretary Buttigieg said just about an hour ago, um, you know, the, the crucial difference is that if we transition to electric vehicles, you know, over time, we can change that power source to be more sustainable. 
versus sticking with um, gas-powered engines, you know, leaves us only sort of one option. Riley, I'm curious if you have a sense of how the industry is sort of transitioning in terms of where the policy discussions are, what the attitudes are from the federal government, uh, from the last president to this president. Um, You know, there are quite a few. I mean, obviously, President Trump had a lot to say about the auto industry and, uh, you know, how he wanted to try to uh, bring jobs back, uh, as he would put it, to America and things like that. I'm curious um, how how what has been the um, the 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 change in tone and sort of the change in attitude uh, since the Biden administration took over? Yeah, so in a lot of ways under the Trump administration too, um, the automakers have actually sort of been ahead of regulators in in this realm. And a part of the reason for that is not necessarily their own altruism. Um, It's that, you know, Europe and Asia are really implementing these regulatory structures way ahead of time um, to push demand for EVs there. And especially in China, which we all know is a huge competitor of the U.S., um, you know, that has really taken off um, in those markets. So, um, you know, the automakers see that and they say, okay, we want to sell our cars in, in Europe and Asia. Um, and this is a mass scale business. Uh, it doesn't make sense to make vehicles for the U.S. Um, and uh, different vehicles for Europe and Asia. So they have been um, really pivoting to say, yeah, we, we're going to spend tons of money transitioning to electric vehicles. Um the crucial difference that you're seeing with this administration is the Biden administration is now saying, yes, we support that. We want to do that. And we are going to help you get there. So there are a lot of handouts on the table and you saw these companies um, making these gigantic announcements at the very beginning of the Biden administration. I mean, I think it was January, the GM, Um, made their announcement about going, um, their plans to go all electric. So um, the, the alignment of that timeline is, is certainly uh, makes sense in that auto companies have a lot to gain from a president that's saying, sure, let's spend billions on this. Keeping on the topic of essentially electric cars, but mostly fuel economy, you had a really great piece uh, just come out in the Detroit News about the possible unintended consequences of stricter fuel economy standards. You said in the piece um, that those standards could, quote, potentially do, potentially could do the opposite of what policymakers want and lead to more investments in products with internal combustion engines, especially if demand for electric vehicles fails to materialize as predicted. Break that down for us. What's going on there? Yeah, so the the crucial thing to know here is that while there's all this hype at the federal level um, and at the business level for EVs, they still make up a tiny portion of the cars that people buy. All new vehicle sales, I think it's the last I heard, less than 2% of all um, new vehicle sales. So Market analysts expect that to skyrocket, but, um, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, so the, the premise of that sort of story, what people had said is that when um, fuel economy standards were first implemented in the 1980s, um, there's this sort of requirement for a fleet-wide average. So when you make the, um, the requirements more stringent, Uh, sometimes it makes more sense for these automakers actually to sell more SUVs and pickup trucks, which are their main profit drivers. And even though they don't go towards meeting those regulatory goals, they make enough money that then they can buy credits from Tesla and then, um, you know, 
make their requirements. So it's going to be an interesting pickle because in the end, Tesla is not going to be able to sell enough credits for everybody. Um, and if the if the requirements go back to basically Obama level, level standards, the automakers are not going to make it at all. Um, so it could be a couple of years of, of automakers just not meeting those requirements. Um, but I think it's a really interesting potential conundrum um, that we're going to have to watch closely. All right. Riley Began covers national politics and auto policy for the Detroit News. Riley, it was great to have you back here on Mishmash. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. That's all for Mishmash. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.